Do we know Malachi? Are you, you know the name, but are you familiar with the, the thrust, the theme? What is God saying to us here? Malachi is a tremendous book. And as much as some of these messages from the minor prophets have been difficult, this one is not difficult because Malachi is so rich. Let's dive right in. Malachi 1, I am not going to preach through every single verse, but we're going to look at different places here. Malachi 1.1 The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now notice this. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, Notice those three words. But you say, How have you loved us? Ladies and gentlemen, if Malachi is profitable for anything, it's profitable for this. It is a book for us to get a lesson in God. The very flavor of this book resonates with this theme that God says something and man turns around and says something different. And that's not a minor thing. That applies to us. Because you see, the fear is The fear is God says something about us as individuals or He says something about us as a church. And then, but we say. You see, we have an idea. We have a thought. We have an opinion. But it doesn't line up with God's opinion. Notice this. Chapter 1, verse 6. O priests who despise my name. Do you see where it says that? But you say, ah, there's those three words again. How have we despised your name? You see, they're thinking they didn't despise his name. He says, you have despised my name. You've despised my name. But they say, How? Like, we didn't think we were. Folks, do you know when you're in the New Testament, Jesus says on Judgment Day, many, many in the church, many religious people are going to say, Lord, we prophesied in Your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. And then he is going to say, I never knew you. You know what? When God says one thing and we say a different thing, that may cost you your soul. You want to be very careful here. Very careful. Notice this. Verse 7. But you say, You see those words again? How have we polluted you? Look at 13. But you say. You see those words? Verse 13. Find those words. But you say. What a weariness this is. Look at chapter 2. Go over to chapter 2. Verse 13. He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say. Verse 14. Why does he not? Like we would think he would. Chapter 2, verse 17. You've wearied the Lord with your words, but 
you say. How have we wearied Him? Chapter 3, verse 7. Return to Me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? You see what they're saying. We didn't think we had drifted off anywhere that we would need to return from. How do we return when we don't think we even were in a place we need to return? But see, God says they are in a place that is not by Him. And they need to come back. But see, they say something else. Folks, I wonder, do we have any people here that are saying something that the fact is God would say the opposite about you? Look at chapter 3, verse 13. Actually, chapter 3, verse 8. You are robbing me. You see where it says that? Malachi 3.8. You're robbing me. But you say. There's our words again. How have we robbed you? You see, we don't think we are. God says you are, and we don't think we are. Wow. Malachi 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Ever, do you ever wonder that? Do you ever wonder if God is right now saying something, but you say something else? Do you ever wonder that? That's where these people were. And you know what? When Jesus says, many are going to say to me in that day, and they're going to be cast away. You know, Jesus said a lot of people are going to go to hell who don't think they're going to hell. Guess what? If you interviewed these people, what would they have said? They would have said, oh, we've been involved in all sorts of mighty works. We were there. We were in the church. We attended that meeting. Remember remember there at the end of November? We were there. We took the Lord's Supper. That's what you said. But maybe God's saying, you know what? Those people despise my name. But you say, how have we? Took the Lord's Supper. Aren't you happy with that? You see what's happening here? You you remember this? There was a church in Laodicea. And they thought they were rich. They thought things were pretty good. But Jesus had something different to say. Jesus said this, For you say, you see, that's, that's what they were saying. I'm rich. I'm prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see what Jesus says? You're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. What were they saying? They were saying something different. You know what happens to us? I see this all the time. People get impressions subjective impressions about what's true. Oh, God told me! Did God tell you out of this book? Look, I'm not saying that God isn't personal. I'm not saying that He doesn't move in the life of His people. But you know what I have found? I found people that say, God told me. And I kind of suspect perhaps God didn't tell them. People have impressions. People have opinions. People do things because of tradition. People have ideas. Just people go around thinking all sorts of things. Folks, you ever read this? Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. You know that's true. We all came in here today and we probably feel pretty good about ourselves. Fairly safe. 
Like when we die, maybe somewhat hopeful, it's going to turn out okay. But you see, every man basically views himself. Every man looks at his life. Every man has ideas. Every, every woman, every child, we have ideas about ourselves. And you know what Scripture says? God sees it. God looks down and sees it and has put it in writing for us. And He says this, every man, the way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. And you see, God's looking at us. And you know what? It's very likely in a room like this, God has certain thoughts about us and our thoughts about ourselves don't line up and they don't match what His thoughts are. We've got ideas, but our ideas don't square with His ideas. And you know what? That's pretty problematic. Because you know what? We have a God of truth. And you know what it means when our words don't line up with His? We're living in a deception. That's what that means. Now folks, you remember there was a time in the days of the judges where they did what? Everybody did what? What was right in their own eyes. That's what happened. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Remember the guy Micah? Remember him? He stole some money from his mom. This is in Judges. Remember that story? You're looking perplexed, brother. He, he stole some money from his mom. He went and admitted it to his mom. He gave the money back. And she, in turn, gave it back to him because he was being honest. And you know what he did with it? He basically formed some household gods. He, he created this shrine. He had an ephod made. He appointed his son a priest. And then you remember what happened? An actual Levite comes walking by. And he says, hey, come in here. I need you to be my priest over and above my son. And, and you know what he said? Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. And right in the next verse after this, it says, every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. That was it. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. You think God was pleased that he set up household gods? God's surely going to bless me? Because See, that's how we think. Not because God ever told us, but we just have these ideas about what's right, what's wrong. I just ask you this, could you be wrong? Could you be wrong about what God thinks about you? Could you be? Listen to this. Look at Malachi 1 verse 6. Where is my honor? You see that? Go to those words. Malachi 1 verse 6. You see it? Where is my honor? Where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Folks, we want to pay careful attention here. If we're going to learn about God, because that's what Malachi teaches us. He teaches us about the true God. One of the problems is this. We have a God who tells us what He's like. But we say different things. We come up with different opinions about Him. Pay careful attention. God is not blind. And one of the things that you want to see here you know what this book is really all about? It's about disrespecting God. Because people feel like, well, I, I don't disrespect God. And God is saying, you are disrespecting. Where's my honor? You have not dealt with me according to the greatness of my name. What? What? Aren't men just like that? Don't we come across that all the time? Perhaps some here. I want to pay careful attention. You know what? God is not blind to our disrespect. He's not blind when our approach to Him is casual. Not at all. I'll tell you what, the God of Malachi and the God of the Bible is a God who is greatly, greatly to be feared. You better lay that down. And that's what Malachi is all about. Look at Malachi. And this, this is amazing to me. You'll get a feel for this. But I want you to see how God expresses His love to Israel. But just be aware of this. These people are disrespecting God. 
Where's my honor? How do you communicate love to somebody who's disrespecting you? Want to see how God does it? Look at verse 2. I have loved you. Malachi 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Now listen to what God says. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? What an odd way to express love. Isn't Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country, left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, Edom is Esau. If Edom says, we're shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I'm going to tear them down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Get that. He has set his anger upon Esau forever. You know what Esau is a picture of? The damned. And you, you want to see that. Verse 5, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. But you see what he says, your eyes shall see this. You know what? This is, this is an odd way to express love. Now listen, if somebody questioned your love for them, somebody you love, and they question your love. Let's say a wife questions her husband's love. Basically, what's, what's he likely going to do? Well, I, I seek to be tender to you. I, I seek to provide for you. I, I've sacrificed. I've been kind. I've been caring. I've been nurturing. But that isn't what God does here. How do you express love when the fear and trembling are absent from the people who should love you as a fearful God like God truly is? When the trembling is absent. You see, these people aren't just questioning God's love. Like He says, I love you. And they're like, when have you loved us? But they're also disrespecting Him. That's the issue. And you know what God does not do? He doesn't come along and say, well, let me present my love to you in a way that's warm and gentle and makes you feel good all over. You see what He does? Imagine this. Imagine Jacob and Esau are brought out to two posts side by side. The firing squad raises the guns. Bang! They all shot Esau. And you know what? Those men were standing there for having committed the exact same crimes. They were just as guilty, both of them. The judge had told all the soldiers, shoot Esau, don't shoot Jacob. Jacob is tied to this post. And he looks over. He's stunned. He wasn't shot. There's his brother Esau, crumpled at the bottom of the post, a bloody mess, his body quivering. And the judge says, see, I set my love on you. I set my mercy on you. That's the kind of picture we have here, folks. This is how God is expressing His love. He's saying, you got to think about this. You remember, this isn't like we find with Isaac and Ishmael, where one is the son of Sarah, he's the son of promise, and the other is the son of the servant woman. It's not that. What do you, these, these two were twins. They were both... They were both children of Rebekah. In fact, Esau was the one that was most loved by Isaac. And you see what God's doing? No warm and fuzzies here. 
It's like, you want to see my love? Take a look at Esau. See how I've torn down. See how he's an object of my anger forever. That's the kind of picture we have. Behold this. You know what that does? You look over and it's like, this, this is traumatic. This is a traumatic expression of love. This makes you swallow hard kind of love. That's what God's doing here. You know why He's doing it? Because they don't fear Him. You want to know the way to express love? When you do, to somebody that's not fearing Him, it's this way. Put that on display. Awe-inspiring. It's like that McShane song. Did you hear that? Did you hear that stanza that went like this? When I hear the wicked call on the rocks and hills to fall, when I see them start and shrink on the fiery deluge brink, then, Lord, shall I fully know not till then, how much I owe. You know, there is a way to express love to somebody and say, see how much I've given. But there's also a way to express love in a way that is calculated to make people fall down and worship with fear and trembling. And that's what God's doing here. I'll tell you this, the scream of the damned will be a graphic reminder of God's love. It's an awful sort of reminder. Do you remember what Scripture says right at, as you close in on the end of Isaiah? You know what we have a picture of? The eternal kingdom. The new heaven and the new earth. Listen to this. The new heavens, the new earth. All flesh shall come to worship before Me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against Me. And when you think of dead bodies, don't think of lifeless bodies. These are the bodies of the dead. The second death. The bodies of the dead in hell. Listen, and we know that because listen to the description. For their worm shall not die. Their fire shall not be quenched. And they shall be in an abhorrence to all flesh. You know what God tells us that in the eternal kingdom? There are going to be times in our worship based on this text. Jesus describes what the lake of fire is going to be like. He, he calls it by these terms. Worm doesn't die. Fire shall not be quenched. And He says that when we come to worship, those who are redeemed, in that worship, they're going to be taken out. There's your classmates who rejected Christ. There's your family members who rejected Christ. They're wailing in agony. These are your co-workers. These are your neighbors who rejected Christ. And you're going to be, I, I, went, I partied with them. I was a liar with them. I was drunk with, I did those things with them. You see, that's, that's the kind of expression of love that's made to call us, cause us just to fall down and worship. How much I owe. Why did you pick me? Why did you single me out? Let's keep reading. Look at, cha look at chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father. Here, this is what's amazing to me. The first two things that God deals with is his love for these people and his fatherhood for these people. I mean, typically we would say, hey, if God comes along and says God is love and he wants to tell us how loving he is towards us and that God is our father, you know, we start to feel these, these warm feelings. Oh, this is great. This is a great way to express it. But you know what's amazing in both of these? It's God's way of actually trying to produce fear. Because He doesn't come along and say, well, I'm like, pa, I'm Little House on the Prairie. Where you get these warm fuzzies because He's you know nice all the... He's saying, folks, where's my honor? I am a father. I deserve honor. I deserve to be feared. That's how He's coming across here. 
I mean, it's these very two things that God starts with to shake us with His greatness, His fearfulness. You know what happens? You know what happens? You know this. We make assumptions. We, we come to Scripture and we say, well, God's love is unconditional. Right? I mean, God came to me. He saved me when I was wandering off in my sin. And so we look at this and it's like, well, God has thrown all my sins behind His back as far away as the east is from the west. I stand before God in the imputed righteousness of Christ. I'm saved that way by faith, not by works. And where my sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And see, and God is God, God of love, and God is a Father. And we we start taking all that, and we basically come to these assumptions. We start thinking, we start imagining. Well, God's kind of soft towards us. He's a pushover. God will just accept anything that we give Him. Right? I, I feel like so many pastors, you know, we just came through this COVID thing. It's like I almost got this uncomfortable feeling. Some pastors were just like, oh, just please come back and sit in the seats. It's like so there's some churches where people still haven't come back. Oh, we, just, we need you to come back. We need you to get your offering into the box. And we need we need this and you know sometimes you get these it's almost pathetic like pastors that oh if we could just get you to participate in this ministry over here we just don't really have too many people if we can get you to give 10 quid more in the box and we got this thing over here it's it's almost like it's pathetic and you know what happens it tends to make people think well that's what god's like the God just running around saying, oh, if you would just, oh, I just, I, you know, I, the picture I had was like some pathetic schoolgirl who's got a crush on a guy and she just wants anything she can get from him. Oh, if he just glance at me, if he just talk to me, if you just say hi to, to me in the hallway. And we kind of picture God that way. Oh, if I just wish I could get anything from these people, just anything. If they just, uh, but you know what? The fact is, we don't have a God who's pleased with the leftovers. You get that feeling? You know what? We can the picture that came to my mind. I'm I'm soon to be. Well, I already am a grandfather. The babies are there. I just haven't been able to see them and touch them. But you can imagine a grandfather. Little two-year-old grandchild comes and they've taken a page out of a coloring book. And you know what they do. They take one color like blue. It's just a bunch of scribble in one color, not within the lines. And they come and they bring it to you. Here, Grandpa. And see, we can imagine that God's like that. God's just so pleased when we bring Him our little scribbled page from a coloring book. And you know what? If that was the best we could do, and we truly were two-year-olds, undoubtedly God would accept it. You know the problem is? We're not two-year-olds. We actually have Rembrandts and Picassos in the closet, and we go give God our little scribbled coloring book page. And God takes one look at that and He says, is that equal to my glory? Does that... I mean, where... You see it? Where is my honor? Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? How? How have we done it? Why? Why would you say that? And you know what can happen? We can become trivial. We can become off in our thinking. We imagine God up there in heaven just wringing His hands. Oh, I wish He did just give me some little thing, some scrap, some leftover that I can... Oh, I hope they might show up to church once in how many ever months. And that... Oh, oh I'm so pleased. They took the Lord's Supper. You know, we have, the, we have these crazy ideas about offering things to God and what He's going to be pleased with. We imagine that little thing we offer to God. Well, I'm just so happy. Oh, Lord, I go to church sometimes. I didn't get drunk this weekend. How have I despised your name? 
by offering, you see in verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? You know what can happen? We imagine God, just like that pathetic schoolgirl, with that guy she's got a crush on, just looking for any little scrap. Just give me something. And you know what? We don't offer animals. But that doesn't mean we don't still offer You know what God wants? He wants the best. That's what's very obvious from this. And he's watching. He knows. You know what? He doesn't need our offerings. He doesn't need them at all. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. fact is, God doesn't need them. But you know what? What are we saying about God's glory? When you got some dumb animal that's wandering around, the thing's half blind. When you say to your son, go get old one eye. And God full well knows you've taken account of all your flocks and your herds. He knows that lamb you prize above all the others. That male out there that you want to breed with all the females because his genetics are good. He's bigger than all your neighbors and you can boast on him. That's the last one I want to go give to God. Go get three-leg out there. Go get Gimpy, who limps around. Why them? Because they're not worth anything. Let's get rid of them. God will take them. It's pathetic. And, you know, we don't offer animals. But what can we offer? You know what's interesting? We didn't get to this in Zechariah, but they fasted various times in the year. And you know what God came along and said? I've seen your heart. Guess what? When you fasted those different months, the fifth month, seventh month, was it for me you were fasting? You know what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus? Yeah, you've, you've not denied my name. But you've lost your first love. You know what happens when you lose your first love? Your offerings, you can tell what you offer to God. Do you fast? You give your money? You give praise when we sing? Your time, your life, your all. What do you give to God? I mean, that's the real issue. That's it. Amos, listen to this. I hate. This is God speaking. I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Peace offerings of your fattened animals, I'll not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I'm not going to listen. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You better hear that last part. You know one of the things that I've really tried to communicate here since I've been here? You can sit in the seat on Sunday. But are you pouring out your life for those in prison? See, are you saying, Lord, here's my life. It's on the altar. You know what? It's not the most comfortable thing for me to go visit that prison. I'd actually rather not take two weeks in Kenya in the slum. You know what? 65 Mount Road, a whole lot more comfortable. 
even though the days are dark. It's a lot more comfortable. And it is. Our money. Our singing. God's watching. Are you excited? Are you honoring Him? God, God, you know what? It's pathetic. These priests, rather than saying, well, we're not going to give God anything. It's just pathetic. Instead of saying that, ah, this is all wearisome to us. We don't want anything. Instead of, instead of that, it's like they give God this, this token. This, they, they tip their hat to Him. It's like this pathetic bare minimum. And you know what? When we lose a sense of the greatness and the glory of God, we start getting distracted by the world and we start getting our affections on other things and getting excited about other things and we lose the excitement of God. You know what it leads to? Careless worship. Now, should we even really go to church today? It's almost like, go to church. Go to church. Like God's just saying, come to church. Just Just give me that. What is that? Come to church. The idea of coming to a place where God's people gather together is you want a sense of His presence. You want to come and worship Him. You want to hear His Word, the Apostles' Doctrine. You want to remember Christ in the Lord's Supper. You want to praise, express that. You want to see Christ's image resonate in the other people in the church and stir up one another so that we can go serve God with hearts that are full of love and full of affection and full of the, the, this fruit of the Spirit. That's what we want. We want people to, we want the church excited about this God. And we want to break forth from the walls and take that excitement out there so that we can be salt and light in this world. Not come in here, oh, you know, God's just begging and pleading us to come in. Don't you recognize that everything God allows us to do and be a part of is our privilege? He doesn't need any of it. And when we come along giving him this token offering, some pathetic blind thing, and you can offer blind things just as well as they could back then. You you don't give God the best. Make no mistake about it, folks. Make no mistake about it. The love of God, the fatherhood of God here, it's all brought in to humble these priests, to frighten them, to impress upon them a sense of awe. Why? Because our Father is this God, this Lord of hosts. Our our Father is not Fred or Mike or John. He is the one whose name is to be hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. He says, look at verse 14, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. Lord of hosts. The host. That means the mighty heavenly forces. We've got us a God of war. And He travels with these hosts. A Father to be feared. A God to be feared. A God to be loved. Yes. And look, our God is kind. And He is a God of love. But He is a God to be shaken before. This is the King of angels. He's over all, above all, glorious in holiness. You know what? You know what we find here? This God actually thinks. He believes He deserves our best. You get that feeling? Can you imagine that? These priests walk up to the altar of this great king. They look over at that thing. One of the eyes is out. This thing's got mange. Here, Lord, aren't you happy? We brought you a sacrifice. Does God need it? He doesn't need it. But you know what? He recognizes the kind of heart that would give that. He recognizes the level of excitement in him and the level of fear in him in anybody that would offer such a pathetic offering as that. Look at verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. We are, we are, we can offer to God. It's like somebody has talked about how the people that go to the football games sing these old hymns. I don't know about that, but that's what I've heard a couple times recently. And I was told they sing with gusto 
that outshines most of the singing in the churches in this country. Is that true? Do they sing at the football game an old hymn that when you walk into a church it's so pathetic and dry and mechanical and old and stale? You think God's pleased with that? You got a bunch of drunk guys that are there worshiping their idol of sports. We walk in here supposedly worshiping somebody that I would think their glory eclipses football. And what do we give him? Curse these panels up here that drown the voice here. And we can become careless. We can become distracted. God, look at verse 13. You say, what a weariness this is. You snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or what's been stolen. That's not, I think what the KJV says. Or is lame or sick. You, this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. God doesn't need our music. He doesn't need our fasting. He doesn't need our money. But what are we saying about Him when we bring Him the second best? When we bring Him the leftovers? Does He want us to be casual? Does He want us to come in here and just go through the motions and do the tradition and do the stuff, all the routine, all the mechanical, unthinking? Do you think, you think He wants us to live our lives where, well, hey, I made it to the prayer meeting last week. Is it seriously? Is, is that... Folks, God is saying, do you know who I am? That's great if you come and pray to Him. But you know what He's saying? I want your best. I want your life. I want your all. I want your first love. I want you. I want your affections. I want it all. Look at verse 9. Now entreat the favor of God that He may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will He show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, look, you know, God, you, you think He's, oh, look, they're down there entreating my favor. Boy, I'm really excited about that. I'm really happy that guy's laying in bed and he's trying to get a prayer off before he drifts off to sleep. Oh, I'm so happy with that. No, if your life is basically reflecting dishonor towards Him. You see what He says? He says, do you think I'm going to show any favor to you? Do you realize what happens when you say, Father, I'm going to fast on Wednesday. I'm going to choose not to eat food because I want you. I'm going to spend that day praying and fasting because I need you. I need you to come close. I need a word from you. I want you. You see, when you say no to that, I know a family that said, we want to see Christ's kingdom extended. We're going to support missionary. Family, we're going to eat rice and beans for a month. We're going to take all the money that we would have otherwise spent on food and we're going to give to this missionary over here. Let me tell you something. I, I can remember one time in San Antonio, a young lady. She was a single mom. Young. I knew her job. She didn't make much. She was so excited. I had set forth a missionary need. And she came up and she was so excited. She put $1,000 in that box. You know what? God's watching. And when He sees that people sacrifice, when He sees that somebody says, you know what? I'm not going to watch TV anymore the rest of my life on Saturday evenings. Because, and I, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to be legalistic and I'm not saying what you have to do or don't have to do. I'm saying this. When somebody says, I'm not going to watch YouTube for a month because I think it's been a distraction because I want God. And somebody says, I'm not going to watch TV anymore the rest of my life 
on Sunday or on, on Saturday evenings because I don't think it's the best thing in preparing me for the Lord's Day and getting together with the brethren. And I think it could be better spent if I, if I was in the Scriptures. You know what? When people make decisions like this in their life, when somebody looks at their financial situation and says, I'm not really maybe certain how all the bills are going to get met, but I really want to give to that need over there. And they make that a priority. You know what we do? You know what so often? Paycheck comes. Oh, there it is. Well, I need this for the mortgage. I need this for the energy bill. I need this for the water. I need this for my car insurance. I need this for gasoline. I need this for council tax. I need this for food. Well, I gotta eat out sometimes. I gotta put that over there. I do. I want that new TV. Gotta put that over there, and uh, this other stuff. Gotta put that over there, and the amendment to the house, my house. Yeah, I gotta fix that up. I gotta put that over there. Well, I gotta gotta get. Gotta work on that garden. Gotta put that over there, and uh, a couple of coins fall. Here, Lord. Here. And we just gave him the leftovers. You know, how, what is God pleased with? I'll tell you what God's pleased with. Now listen, I'm not up here making, <laughs> I'm not up here trying to get a new car or trying to get an increase in my salary. I am up here to say God is watching. And God knows your heart. He knows your motives. He knows why you do what you do. You see what these people were saying? What a weariness this is. Did you catch that? You know what happens when you become weary with God? You can see it in your offerings. When the luster has gone, what a weariness. I don't know if we're going to go to church. This is weary. You see, you've lost the glory. When you come here, it's like, wow, when we sing... I just get taken up to heaven. It's the closest thing to heaven. And I, 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 I'm a, I don't want to miss because God might show up. This might be the Sunday God shows up. And the last thing I want to do is miss and be casual and just couldn't get out of bed on time or do this. I got some work out in the garden I got to do. And so I didn't come that day and God showed up. You see, when it's all the weariness, you don't even care. The glory is gone. That's what's happening. It's time to bring the. I, just think about this. When you, when you really get excited about your house, the improvements you're making to your house, the new car you got, about your garden, when it's time to bring a sacrifice to God, what do you think you're going to bring? When you're all excited about your sports team, or you're all excited about this, that, or the other thing, and that's what's really exciting you these days. And then it's time to bring an offering. And you may not voice it to others. Oh, God forbid. You would never say what a weariness. But you feel it in your souls. And you know it. And you know what happens when it's a weariness? Well, I know what happens. I mean, you've lost the glory. And this is what God's coming back. I'm a glorious God. You guys, you guys have turned your eyes in, in the totally a wrong place. You know what happens? You know, you know when somebody comes along and they say, Lord, you know what? I see what you say. Your son said, don't lay up treasure here. And I'm going to do it. And, and I'm going to trust you. Oh, he's very delighted with the kind of sacrifices that show that we trust him. I'm not going to store up retirement. I'm going to give it to the needs around the world. And when I get in need, my eyes are going to be upon you. I'm trusting you. I'm going to be just like Abraham. I may not know where I'm going. I may not know where this is going to lead. I may not know how it's all going to end. But I, I'm trusting you. Oh, God is very pleased with that kind of thing. Folks, do you remember... And I, and, and I think you ought to ask yourself this question. There's two accounts in Scripture that jumped out at me. Remember the time 
when the plague was in the land and everybody was dying. And David needed to make an offering. And when he made the offering, the plague was stayed. And you remember there was a threshing floor of Aruna. You remember that? And when he came to Aruna, he said, I need to make an offering here. And Aruna had oxen and he had wood and everything that was suitable for making an offering. You remember, do you remember the account? What did Aruna say to him? He said, take it all. Remember what David said? I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. But let me ask you, if you had been there, would you have taken it for free? Said, well, hey, I'm offering. God's getting his offering. How about Abraham? You remember when he went and rescued Lot? And he brought all the people and all the stuff back. You remember what the king of Sodom said? He said, Abraham, give us the people and you take all the stuff. Do you remember why Abraham wouldn't take it? He said, if I take it, you're going to say, you made me rich. But you haven't made me rich. God has made me rich. And I will not let God be dishonored. But I ask you, would you have taken the stuff? Because is having money more important to you than God's glory? And showing that He is a great God and to be feared. And you would not think of offering Him that which costs you nothing. Or taking something that would diminish His glory in the sight of the onlooking world. Folks, God says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered in my name. Do you realize what God's saying? He's saying to those Jews, you may do me disrespect. You may do me dishonor. But let me tell you something. I'm going to raise up people in Manchester, England. I'm going to raise up people in Kenya. I'm going to raise up people in the United States and people in Lebanon. And you know what? They're going to fall down and they're going to worship me. They're not going to deny my name. I'm going to raise up some little girls in Lebanon who would rather with joy take the threats of being killed, threats of being beaten, if they can just get to the meetings. You remember what Kevin said? How, how they just, they, they didn't miss a meeting. They wanted to be there. Why? God was glorious to them and they were willing to suffer for them. And we know, we know a brother right now whose family is five against one and one against five. And you know what? He's taken a stand for Christ even when his wife and even when his sons are against him. And he's saying, I love the Lord better than my family and I choose Him first. You know what happens when people do that? God is watching. And He says, He loves me more than He loves family. He loves me more than He loves money. He loves me more than He loves His own life. And when people do that and they live that way, God is watching. And you know what? He's worth it. He is worthy. 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 And listen to this. Listen to what's said. He says that, oh, that there were a man. Do you see it? What a weariness. They're snorting at this. But look at verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. But you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept any offering. Close it. Shut the doors to what? To stop the sacrifices. I don't want them anymore. You think bringing these, these defective things here? I don't, what are you even doing? Just stop it all together. I wish there was somebody. And you know what? We need somebody like that. We need a bunch of somebodies like that in the church today. People that stand up and say, no, no, we're not going to give God a pathetic offering. We're not going to give God pathetic singing. We're not going to be pathetic in our fasting and our choices we make, what we do in life, how we view the world in life. 
We're not going to do it. We're going to give God our best. We need, you know what? Last thing we want to be is the kind of church that God just says, I wish somebody would just close the doors to that place. We don't want to be that. And listen, I just say this in the end. And I know it's a strong note to end on, but look at chapter 2, verse 2. If you'll not listen, if you'll not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I'll send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away. You know that old one-eyed thing you bring to me? Look at the dung fall out of that thing. This is God speaking. He says, I'll take that and smear it in your face. In other words, we have us a God, folks, that does not count a small thing to be insulted. He is worthy. He is great. And you know what? This whole book is about this. It's about honoring Him. Honoring Him. And you know when you get to the end of this book, chapter 3, verse 16, you see, those who feared the Lord. That's what He's after. He wants people that see Him. And I'll tell you this. You want to fear the Lord? Read the Scriptures. Just read the Scriptures. See who He is. See His greatness. See what He did to Egypt. See what He did to Uzzah. See what He did to Hophni and Phinehas. See what He did to Aaron's sons. See what He did to Ananias and Sapphira. See what He's going to do to everybody who will not surrender and lay down the weapons of their warfare. Surrender to Christ. We, we have a God who can call a universe into existence with a word. He can shake the mountains. We have a God that came down upon Mount Sinai and those Jews said, Moses, make this stop. If he keeps talking to us, we're going to die. Those who feared the Lord they spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention. You get that? The Lord really pays attention to people that, that think highly of Him and fear Him and honor Him and regard Him. The Lord pays attention to them and He hears them. And a book of remembrance was written before Him. And those who, here it is again, feared the Lord and esteemed His name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see, I love it, the distinction. You know what? You know one of the famous verses that Malachi is known for? You don't give your tithes. I'm not saying tithing is even the New Testament standard for giving. All on the altar. Giving with regards to His greatness. That's how you want to give. But what you want to see, and you don't want to miss this, look at chapter 3, verse 8. Will men rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, there's another one, but you say, how have we robbed you? Ties and contributions. Again, God doesn't need it. God doesn't need it at all. But you're cursed with a curse. Why? For you're robbing me. How are they robbing Him? Well, they're keeping back. You see, again, it's disrespect. What we do with our money is such a telltale sign of whether we really honor God. But notice this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Because you have to remember this. One of the things that happened with that money is the priests got fed. There's food in his house for the priests. If I put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You know one of the things we rob God of? The opportunity to shower blessing upon us for having trusted Him. You see that there? You see what God's saying is this, I don't need your money. 
But when you give in such a way to the things that I called you to support, the widow, the orphan, the imprisoned, the spread of the gospel, yeah, men in the ministry, when you give yourself sacrificially, you see what God's saying? You put me to the test. People that honor me that way, people that honor me by showing that they really trust me, oh, I'm not going to fail them. And in the very end, these people who feared me and who esteemed my name, I'm going to make an, I'm going to make a distinction. You know what? That's a promise we want. Where God says, I'm going to make you distinct from all the rest. Why? You trusted me. You feared me. The offerings you brought me, you brought your best. Like the widow who threw in her two mites. Remember how Zacchaeus was? Lord, I give it. I got half of it. I'm just going to give it away. If I give it to anybody, I'm going to give them for it. I don't even care about my money anymore. I've got the treasure of all treasures. Wow, God is honored when you do that. God doesn't care about money anymore. He cares about God. He cares about Christ. Versus that stingy guy. Your soul is required of you. You haven't been rich towards God. You want to be rich towards Him. Why? It's all His anyways. He's a great God. Then you want to, He's going to make this distinction between us. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant, all the evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, but for you, here it is again, who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Isn't that what you want? Listen, when we find our all in this God of Malachi, it's, it's not like it's torturous. It's, it's the fullness. That's where joy is to be found. That's when God gives himself to us. When God thrills our soul. And we're just ready to say, take it all, Lord. Take my life. You're worth all of it. I just want Christ in the end. I want to see His face. I want to behold God face to face. Just show me how you want me to live. And you know what? God knows the flocks. And He knows your thoughts. And He knows when you go out to the flock, and it's like, ah, that is the best bull right there. Look at that guy. It looks like the thing is pumped full of steroids, just bulging with muscles, and you don't want to get in a fight with that one. Lord, that's the one I'm giving to you. You're, you're worthy of that one. And you just, you just know he's going to make a distinction. I give that. He'll give me a bunch more. I'll never be a loser for fearing him and for counting him the greatest of, of all. Yeah, Lord, that's that one's yours. When you start with your money and it's like, Lord, I'm going to start, before I even talk about mortgage and what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to feed my kids, I'm going to give this much to you. I'm going to give 25% of what I get and I'm just going to trust you that all the rest of it works out. You can, you can say, well, that's being irresponsible. You call it what you want. But I'll tell you this, when you're putting God first, God takes note. And when you put Him second, or third, or fifth, and it becomes a weariness, you see. Last thing we want, brethren, brethren, we come in here. We feel like, well, God's pleased with me. But what if God says something different? And He can kind of size it up by what you give to Him. Again, not that He needs it. There's no pauper of a God. But you can tell where your heart is by what you give Him. You can't get around that. That's Malachi. Father, please, I want to be sold out. And I would just say this. Father, 
If you even see it becoming weariness, I would just ask you, please reveal yourself. Show yourself more. Come, come in a way that our, our faculties, our senses can grasp hold of. We want to see the glory. We want to we smell the aroma. We want to hear the voice of Christ, the voice of our God. We want the, the voice of God to be like that voice that thunders. We want to be able to read Job and just feel the bigness of it all and feel how glorious you are and what a creator and how, how Lord, we want to feel it. We want to be able to go to the Word of God and have it come home with such a sense of the touch and the breath of the Spirit of God upon it that it just shakes us. It awakens us. It makes us feel an awe, a glory. Fall down. Lord, we want to, we want to be so impressed by the realities of the Gospel, that the wrath that was poured out on that cross. Your, your fearfulness as expressed through the pages of Scripture. That often it causes us to fall down. Often it causes us to take a step back. Often it causes us to think, to fear. We want the fear of God to once again be upon your churches where there's a sense, there's a stillness. Just like that witch in Martin Lloyd-Jones' day would say there was, a, there was a, something supernatural, but it was clean. That's what we want. We want the cleanness, the, the purity, the holiness of the living God to permeate our meeting places, our prayer places, our lives all together. We want it to be real. We want, we want it to be glorious. Please, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.